You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. Um, a couple weeks ago, my huddle was reading through uh, the book of Mark, and I came to the point where uh, it was time to just read through the, the story of the crucifixion uh, of Jesus. And it was just, just impactful. It was just good just to sit there and just, and just read the, the story, the account of what Jesus had done for me for myself. And so this morning, we're going to do something I've never done before. Um, I just want us to read the entirety of that account together. And so I know we haven't dismissed kids yet, so kids, you guys are still in the room, and that's on purpose. Um, I want you to get to read this with us. Maybe your mom and dad read scripture with you at night. It's the same thing, except this time I'm going to get to, to read with you. And then having read what Jesus did for us, those of us who are believers in the room uh, are, are going to take the Lord's Supper together right after that. And then we'll continue to worship together. We'll have a little bit of time after that to discuss the implications of the cross for us. But first and foremost today, I just wanted us to just read the word together. And so um, this is what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you just to set everything down uh, unless you want to read along with me. And I've got an ESV Bible I'm going to be reading from. And so if you have an ESV, that'll, if you want to read along, that's great. And if you you don't, um, it I, I, I really struggle to, to pay attention if I'm trying to read along in a different version. So maybe just, maybe just let me read this over you, all right? And so um, we're going to begin. It is Palm Sunday. And so we're going to begin with the account of, of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem. And then we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 22. Read all of Luke chapter 22 and all of Luke chapter 23 together. All right? So this is the word of the Lord. In Luke chapter uh, 19, verse 28, it says this. It says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that's called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go on into the village in front of you. Where on entering, you'll find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you, why are you untying this colt? You shall say this. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, and they found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why why are you untying the colt? And they said, well, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the Way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, these very stones would cry out. Friday of that week, Luke chapter 22, says this. 
Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And he went away and he conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him some money. So he consented and he sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat of it. And they said to him, Well, where will you have us prepare it? And he said, Behold, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of that house. The teacher says to you, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room, furnished, prepare it there. And they went, found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he then took some bread. When he had given thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as, as it's been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it, would, it could be who was going to do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, the leader as the one who serves. But who's the greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. You're those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And he said, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the, the rooster won't crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and the Likewise, a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors. 
for what's written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, there's, here's two swords. And he said, yeah, that's, that's enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples, they followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them for about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat become like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. They drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to them, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that, uh, what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple, the elders who had come out against him, he said, have you come out against us as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me, but this is, this is your hour and the power of the darkness. And they seized him. And they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, she said, this man also was with him. But he denied it. Saying, woman, I don't, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also or, or, or one of them. Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? They said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you, you'll not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And they said, well, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. And the whole company of them arose, and they brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and say that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, well, are you the king of the Jews? 
And they answered him, you've said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him on over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was, really, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he'd heard about him, was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. They made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes, they stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt, mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing, sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day. For for this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Now therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, just crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. Now, therefore, I'm going to punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross. Carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming. And I say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that have never bore, the breasts that have never nursed. And they'll begin to say to the mountains, Just fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers, they scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals uh, who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man... 
He's done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now the centurion saw what had taken place. He praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returning home, beating their breasts, all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance, just watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council. He was a good and righteous man who hadn't consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man, he went to Pilate, and he just asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down. He wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb, cut in stone, where no one had yet been laid. It was a day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. So the women who had come with him from Galilee, they followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Let me pray for us. Father, um, this morning, my prayer is for myself, all of us in the room, that you would remind us uh, of the severity of the sacrifice that you paid for us and the reality of it, the consequence of it for us. I pray for my friends in the room who are believers who have trusted in Christ already, that just having been reminded of the intentionality of the cross, of the sacrifice of the cross, that we would worship in thanksgiving. For my friends in the room who haven't yet trusted you, I pray that the words that you inspired, that you gave us, the account of what Jesus did, your kindness, your love would draw them to you. As Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, just as we just read, still walking that out, that we would do so from a place of worship and thankfulness. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. I'm thankful that the story doesn't end where we just left off, and next Sunday uh, we're going to have a party um, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, that the story doesn't end with the grave. Um, But this Sunday, I want to just leave us with a couple of thoughts. Uh, Just briefly, I'm going to be brief today because I know I just read the Bible to you for 15 minutes, all right? Uh, And so um, there's a couple of brief thoughts that I I, I, I want you to walk out with. The account of the sacrifice of Jesus is uh, powerful. 
Um, it's profound. It's, it's gut-wrenching. But it's also personal. And if we miss the personal nature of, of, of the account, like if we miss the personal nature of what Jesus did, it's just an account. It's just a story. It's not. Several hundred years before the birth of Christ, um, God, through the prophet of Isaiah, prophesied uh, about what the Savior's sacrifice would be for, what the point of it all is, would be. So this is what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 3. It said, He be despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But verse 5 says, but he, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. That's, that's why the, the account of the sacrifice of Jesus is personal, because it's for us. It's not an isolation, it's just for us. There's three things I want you to see this morning. One, uh, the cross of Christ was intentional. The cross of Christ was intentional. Isaiah wrote this, prophesied this, at around 740 B.C. Seven, 800 years before Jesus was born, God's proclaiming, prophesying, like, this is what's going to come. This is what I'm doing. God knew what he was doing. God's plan from the beginning, all the way back to Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, like, God was not caught off guard. He was bringing about a plan to rescue, to restore, to redeem. Jesus didn't just get caught. He willfully, he intentionally left heaven laid down his life in love for people like us who have consistently and willfully walked away. The cross of Christ was intentional. That matters for those of you in the room who walked in doubting his concern for you, uh, doubting whether he actually really cares at all, if he's invested, like, or if he's just kind of some distant stand. No, like he's this was intentional. He came for this purpose. He didn't come to live a good life and accidentally get caught and accidentally murdered. 750 years before that, God's saying, this is what's going to happen. This is why I'm going to send him for you. See, the Lord saw our sin, saw what its consequence was going to be, and was unwilling to abandon us to what we had earned. So he intentionally sent his son to do what we could never do. Second thing I want you to see is the cross of Christ. It was, it was necessary because of 
my sin and your sin. The cross of Christ was necessary because of our sin. Verse 5, like he was pierced for our transgressions. Those are my, those are my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's, that's us. That's our iniquities. Upon him was laid the chastisement that brought us peace. That, he's, that's him paying our price. With his wounds, we are healed. My transgressions, my iniquities, my failures, my sin. That destroyed any chance of peace with the God that I was made for. My sin estranged me from him. My sin, my, my failure, my iniquities, my transgressions separated him, me from him. For this life and for eternity. That's what Romans 3.23 says. Like all of us, like all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. This is all of us. None of you are exempt. No matter how great of a life you think you've lived, no matter how many good things you've done, it doesn't outweigh the consequence for sin. Romans 6.23 goes on. It says that that sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. Like there's a punishment for this. It's not a scale of like a balance thing we're trying to do here. The consequence for sin, any sin, transgression, lowers you below the standard of holiness before God. And there's a consequence for that. Romans 6.23 goes on, it says, not only is there a wage for sin, but there's a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That was my sin, but it was his gift. That was my transgressions, my iniquity, was his holiness being offered, his righteousness being offered to me by what Christ did on the cross. It was personal. The, Christ, the cross of Christ is personal. But the interesting thing about gifts is they're not forced upon you. They're offered to you. And it's up to you whether you're going to do anything with it or not. If I, if I, if, if you, you know, you go home for the summer or whatever, you guys are away or something, and sometime this summer you get an envelope and it's got Church of the Oaks on it, and you're like, okay, they probably mailed me a newsletter or something, and you don't, you don't open it. It's not like a thing you don't really, you know, care about because, you know, you don't. I don't know. Just go with it, okay? You don't open it. Leave it on the counter. You go about your, your time in the summer, having a good time, playing with the kids, playing with your family, like whatever you're doing, you know, running around Europe or something. You know, you're just doing you all summer. Don't think about it a bit. It's out of mind. And you come back and you're trying to get the house, you know, get things in order, you know, to get the fall going well. And you're kind of sorting through some stuff. And you find this envelope from OSHA. I guess I should open it. You know how we all just like rip through mail and just instantly put it all in the trash can. You're prepared to do that. You rip this thing open. There's like a handwritten note from me to you. And there's like a $100 Starbucks gift card in there. And you're like, that guy really likes me, you know. Didn't have an impact on your summer at all, did it? I'd offered it to you, I'd set it right there in front of you, and you push it out of your mind, never really opened it, and didn't have, didn't have nothing to do with you. It wasn't yours yet. I'd offered it to you, I'd sent it to you, I'd made it available to you, but you hadn't taken it. The thing about free gifts is you have to take it. And until you do, it's not yours. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes I spend time talking with folks and they have this thing where they're like, okay, I'm, I'm learning about Jesus. I, I, I think I'm getting it or whatever. I just need to handle some stuff. I need to break out of some sin patterns and some behaviors, right? And I'm going to get this right. And then I'm going to come to Jesus. 
dude, Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. Like, the gift's offered. Just been waiting on you your whole life before you ever could have asked. We don't clean ourselves up to accept the gift. You just take the gift, man. Like, that's the whole point. God showed his love while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He knew that you were going to be a transgressor. He knew about your iniquity. He knows. And didn't abandon you to it. But it's up to you to accept the gift. Third thing I want you to see is that the cross of Christ, it created a path to life, one that wasn't there before. Verse 5, it says he brought us peace. It says that with his wounds we are healed. Now, the word healed, okay, like that, that, that can mean a lot of different things. Like if it's something minor, if it's something insignificant or whatever, then it's not that big of a thing. We weren't healed of something minor. Christians in the room, like we were not healed of something minor. We were healed of something terminal. For this life and for eternity, no hope, no, no pathway back. The disease of sin in our nature, something we couldn't fix. He, he made healing possible. He made peace possible and forgiveness possible when he paid our price for us on that cross. Verse 6 says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he paid for that on the cross. Verse 6 tells me that all of us have gone astray, but not all of us have come home. All right? All of us have gone astray. That's, that's unilateral. But not all of us have come home. Not all of us have turned to the Savior. Well, well, eternal life has been bought for it. For us, it's still up to you to say yes to that, to walk in that. First Peter chapter two verse twenty-two says that He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree. That's why we're. That's why we glory like in the cross. Like that's that's my sin. He bore my sin in His body on the tree. Here's why. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. To come home, to turn away from our sin, to repent of the way that we were going, to turn to him and follow the Lord instead of follow our sinful selves. He says, by his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Have you done your share of uh, straying like sheep? Yeah. You've done your share of sharing like sheep, right? There's been seasons of wandering. There's been seasons of sin. There's been seasons of distance. Christians in the room, even after you've become a Christian, there's been seasons where like sin just kind of has this way of wrapping around you. All of us have strayed like sheep. But it says, it's written to believers, and it says, you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So I want to ask you, have you, have you returned to the shepherd? Have you come back to the shepherd of your soul? Have you, have you turned away from sin and come after him? Have you trusted in what he did in the cross? Have you accepted the gift? Because the fact that it's available to you has no impact on you until you take it. You can't earn it. You can't clean yourself up for it. You can't, like, do anything to make it. It's just, it's all done. It's done for you. We say yes. Return to the shepherd. Our band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of response, and that's just the question I want set on your heart. 
I know I've strayed. I know I've sinned. I know that's, that's me as well as anybody else. Have I come home, though? Have I accepted that gift? Have I returned to the shepherd? Because my fear for you and for, for, for all of us, my, my fear is that um, knowing that a gift is available and never receiving it leaves you in the same place you were before. My friends in the room who are Christians, um, I know that sin sometimes wraps around our heart. My prayer this morning for you and for me is we be reminded that that sin was paid for. Not that it would drive us to trying harder in some kind of legalistic way, but we would just be driven to thankfulness and joy at what Jesus has done for us. So Christians in the room, that's where I want you to be. I just want you to, as we worship, I just want you worshiping because of what he did for you on that cross. And those of you in the room who aren't Christians yet, Maybe you're here, you've been figuring it out, you've been trying to get around to people, you kind of get some questions answered. I, I respect it. That's, that's, that's why we're here. But would today be the day for you to just accept the gift? I know enough. I trust it enough. Not that I have every question answered and, you know, whatever, but like I, I know enough of Jesus. I know his heart for me. I know my sin. I know I need to be saved. Would today be the day that you said yes to the gift? We're going to have uh, some of our folks back there in the back, our prayer team, they're just back there to be there to speak with you and pray with you. If you want to talk with somebody about sin, if you want to talk with somebody, hey, I have questions about what it would mean to trust Jesus as my Savior. Would you just pray with me? Would you talk with me? That's why they're going to be back there. And so as our band leads in just a moment, whether you're a Christian or not, like if you, whatever it is that you want to discuss with somebody, this is your time to actually respond. This is not something you do in isolation. So as you, I know the rows are really long today because the BCC set the chairs up weird. Just go on and slide out. People will move. Go back there and talk with somebody. Let them pray with you. Let me pray for you now and then you respond to the cross as you feel led. All right? Let me pray for you. Father, this morning we were reminded of the great sacrifice that Christ paid on our behalf. We've been reminded that it was, it was our sin that he was paying for on that cross. We've been reminded that you intentionally came for us. That Jesus was intentionally beaten and mocked and scorned and murdered. But that was my place on the cross. And God, I don't know how to say thank you appropriately for the magnitude of your sacrifice for me. God, sometimes all I know how to do is just tell you I love you and thank you. So God, as we worship together, I pray that for my friends in the room who are already believers, that we would worship as those who are thankful, those who have been saved, those who have been redeemed. And I pray for my friends in the room who aren't Christians yet, that by your spirit that you would draw them to yourself. Having done everything that needs to be done, I pray that today would be the day that they would say yes. They'd put their faith and their trust in you. They'd follow after you. They'd come home right now. God, move in this moment. So your sons, I'm going to pray. Amen. Why don't you stand, worship together. Next step is open for you. They're ready to go.